Uh, good morning. It's good here to be here again. <clears throat> we, um, we're going to be looking at a text this morning out of Jeremiah 32. All the things that we've sung about this morning, we're, this is going to look at some of the history behind that redemption that we can sing about even, even now. Um, because there's some very relevant lessons to the way we live today, when we look at the way the Lord dealt with his people and the way that he made his promises and the way that he encourages and strengthens our faith. And sometimes it's not the way we might think he would. And uh, surprisingly, this is one of those stories like that. Jeremiah 32 is the chapter. We won't be reading all of the chapter. We're actually just going to go through portions of it as we work through the message. And, uh, and I will read just maybe a few other Verses from different parts of Jeremiah, just to fill in some of the context. But uh, we're looking at, um, if you guys put it in a, a word, a life invested. You know, people, <clears throat> they find something that um, is worth something. And by investing it, and I can gain from it, we know what people will do. They'll just go, what, what can I beg, borrow, or steal to pour into this? Because this is going to really pay off. And... You know, one thing about the Lord and, and trusting in him, it is a great investment, and it is the investment of everything that we have, even as Jesus said, you know, if we seek to hold on to our life, we will lose it. But if we, <clears throat> we seek to leave that life behind and put everything into uh, the God who we come to trust in, we gain life. We gain life day by day here that spiritual life, and we gain that eternal life as well. So let's, um, let's look at, let's begin here. I'm just going to read a few opening verses, and then we'll, we're going to look a little bit at some <clears throat> the events and the context that kind of make up what we're, we're going to look at this morning. And <clears throat> the idea of this, the main story of this text, all, all surrounds the purchase of a piece of land. That's all, you know, something that God had told Jeremiah, I want you to by this piece of land. And yet it becomes, from the Lord's perspective, a great gesture, a symbolic gesture of what he was going to do in the years to come in order to save a people for himself and make those people his very own. And it was in the most desperate and darkest times for God's people that this, this purchase of land was made and these promises were made as well. And again, we... Um, we don't, we don't have to go very far to look at you know, the things around us that are so contrary to, um, to the way that they ought to be, and even in our own hearts, things that are contrary to the way they ought to be, and yet the Lord has come to make those things different. Let's read. I'm just going to read a few verses from the beginning of this text just to give context. This is the word that came to Jeremiah I'm in verse 1. Chapter 32, from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, who happened to be the king of the Chaldeans at the time. Now at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard, which was in the house of the king of Judah." Some of the things we're looking at here is not only the, the message of Jeremiah, but his life as well. You know, it's similar to Paul, when you read Paul in the letters in the New Testament, there's so much of Paul's heart revealed, and you learn so much about the walk with the Lord through the life of Paul. He shares all these things that are his own burden and vision, and he says, now follow me as I follow Christ. And probably more than any other prophet, uh, Jeremiah is one like that. The Lord reveals a lot of things about Jeremiah's struggle, his faith, and personal aspects of his life. And it really does, sometimes we learn as much from the message as we do from the messenger. And there, this would be the case this morning. And most of the lessons we're going to look at will come toward the end. The event, this event takes place, uh, <clears throat> it's the 39th year of Jeremiah's ministry. He's been ministering to Judah and to the surrounding communities that are left now. Uh, the history is such that earlier, some 130 years earlier, 
10 of the 12 tribes were already taken away for just rank and gross and disobedient behavior. They were scattered throughout the Assyrian Empire and in various other parts. And now here we are 130 years later, and even as Isaiah was the main prophet who ministered during those dark years, now Jeremiah is the main, one of the main prophets who has been dealing with the Lord's people, the remnant that are left. And uh, now it's come, the Nebuchadnezzar has come against the city. He had already come 10 years previously, and he carried off all kinds of the nobility. The book of Daniel uh, would come out of that time where Daniel was taken away in that first, uh, that first exile. But now he's returned to a people who have constantly hardened themselves against the word of the Lord to them and still do not believe that God would actually come and destroy his own city and destroy his holy temple and tear everything down. And they're still believing in a false idea that now he just won't do that and they're resisting Jeremiah's ministry among them. So this gives you some context. This is 39 years into this as, as, what, as we would have it. And uh, it's the, now the walls have been nearly breached. The siege ramps are there. There's like a year left before all of this is going to come apart. And this, again, sets the context for this event in Jeremiah's life where the Lord would have him go during this time and go purchase uh, a piece of land. There's some other aspects of, of Jeremiah. Is that really, we, I'm going to read, I'll just read you to give you an idea of just what he was up against as uh, someone just ministering the word of God faithfully. Uh, Jeremiah 25 in verse 3, it says, From the 13th year of Josiah, so Jeremiah had, had been a prophet for the reign of five different kings. Zedekiah is the last of the five and will be the last king of Israel. The only king after that will be the Lord Jesus when he comes and when he came. But from the 13th year of Josiah, the first king he was prophesying under the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, so this is back in time a little bit, these 23 years the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. The occasion for the text, this text here is 16 years previous to what we're looking at today. So at that time, 23 years in the ministry, and no one is listening. The kings, the princes, the governors, all of the people that are left, no one's hearing what the word that the Lord is telling them, turn, turn from your ways and return to me. And I will spare, but no one was, was turning. And so he really, Jeremiah, another, a few other things about his ministry is Jeremiah didn't only minister to um, God's people, the Israelites. He, the Lord did a lot of mighty things through him. He ministered to the nations. He sent letters to the nations, the kings of the nations around them. And he sent those letters with a yoke, the yoke like you would put on an animal to, to hook up a plow. He sent those letters with yokes to each of these kings. And he said, if you, if you go against the king of Babylon who's coming, Nebuchadnezzar, and you try to get out of the yoke that he puts on you, I will destroy you. So he's, he's not only giving Israel this message, he's giving all the nations around them. He says, you just heed to what he's doing, it will go much better for you. But if you resist him, then I will destroy you through him. And that was essentially the message that was coming to Israel, to Judah, and the fortified cities left. You know, when we think of God's name, when he declared that name to Moses, remember one of the things he said about himself, that he was slow to anger, but abounding in loving kindness. So this is, this is nine centuries now of anger reserved. You know, God has been slow with Israel. He has given them everything you could possibly extend to them. And yet their hearts completely kept turning from him to the gods of the nations around them, to their own desires and their own ways. And the Lord was going to bring a better way, as we know. He was going to make a better covenant, as he said. He would say that through Jeremiah. A covenant that he made in the day on Mount Sinai with Moses was one where, you remember, where Moses goes up on the mountain, he receives the words from God. He comes down and speaks 
what are called the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. And, and the people of Israel said, yes, we'll do that, and he will be our God. This is the God we want, the one who's brought us through the Red Sea, the one who brought us out of slavery, the one who's providing for us. We will do what he says. And yet we know how that 900 years later, this is where we're at, and it's been one cycle after another after another. And the main thing was that the heart of man just cannot stay fixed on God. It just cannot. It takes a divine miracle for that to happen. And we know that that's what was going to happen through the Lord Jesus Christ. But in these days, this is where they're at. The, 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 the patience of God has been exhausted, and now there is only judgment. And in the face of judgment, there's constant promise. The Lord is still speaking promise and blessing and a future to them. But Jeremiah's ministry, as we said, was a, it, it reached out to the nations, but it also it reached, out, it reached out as well to those who were already in exile. They had been there for 10 years now, and there are false prophets among them saying, don't worry, God's going to bring you back. You're gonna, all this is going to go away, and you're going to come back. This is almost over. And Jeremiah is saying, no, 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 it's, it's just beginning. You need to stay there. You need to settle down. At least they were, they were of the mind to listen and go with the king and not resist, go with the king of Babylon. Here's a verse that comes out of Jeremiah as well, 29.11. It's, it's a verse people use a lot. A lot of people know this verse and maybe are not familiar with the context. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And this idea of having a hope and having a future, it's often used in all kinds of contexts, but literally the context is here is stay put. Don't listen to the false prophets. What's happening in Jerusalem right now, the Lord is going to take everything and wipe everything away. You're going to be there a long time. You're going to die there. He says, but your hope and future is not done just because your life is done. You hope in me. You trust in the covenant promises I gave way back to Abram that I said I would make a nation from you. And I would bring a seed into the world through whom all nations would be blessed. And we know that that seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here is this promise saying, settle down there. I will bless you right there. Seek the welfare of those cities you live in in Babylon. I'll take care of you there. The hope is yet to be realized. It's not lost. But resist me in this and you will be destroyed. Again, just like what's happening to the current situation in, in Jerusalem. And it was in the midst of these times that these these. This darkness, this probably, you know, when you look at Israel's history, it doesn't get any darker than here. And you read the book of Lamentations, which is just the sad lament of everything that finally happened. What happened? A people rescued out of slavery, a people taken care of in every way you could imagine. And yet a people turned away and whose hearts would not stay fixed. And now people scattered to the nations, many of them destroyed. The land is gone. The temple is destroyed. All these things are taking place. And, it's, and this is what, in the midst of all this, there does come uh, a great light. The Lord begins to, in Jeremiah, there's this theme that there's going to be a restoration. A restoration of, of the hope and the promises God originally gave to them. I just read in Jeremiah 33, he says, For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. So here's this great promise. In the midst of this, he says, there's restoration. This is not the end. God is faithful, and he's mighty, and he's wise, and he's loving and gracious and kind, and all these things. And when he spoke those words to Abram, those words would, would forever be true. So in the, in the eyes, in the mind, in the heart, you will see even of Jeremiah, what is going on? How can this be rectified? What will eventually happen? 
And yet God sows into it these great hopes that he is going to restore these things. And that, that hope was kept alive through the centuries. If you remember when Peter was with, um, when the apostles were with the Lord before he ascended into heaven, after he rose again from the dead and he was going on before he would return once again. And Peter asked him at that time, they were asking him, he said, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom? You know, everyone's waiting for the restoration. When is it going to happen? When are we going to get the land back? When are we going to rule the nations again? And he says, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has chosen. You go and you take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what you're to do. You wait for God's power through his spirit and you go. And that's been the commission for the church since that time. The restoration is still yet to come. In Peter's message, one of his early messages, so he gets that now, he understands. So now he's, in his own sermon, he's addressing the issue of hope among his the Jews who he's preaching to now. In Acts 3 and 19, he says, Repent and turn so that your sins may be wiped out in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient times. This, this whole theme of, of, of restoration, is, it appears nine times in Jeremiah, probably more than any other prophet. But it was a, it was a theme that began to rise, and it, the Lord's Spirit kept it alive in the hearts of those who were still trusting him. And so again, even though everything is on the precipice of, of destruction and a bad destruction, the Lord would have spared lives if people are going to resist. He says when Nebuchadnezzar comes into the city, he, won't, he will give no quarter he will take everyone out, and no one will live. And so yet, the Lord gives these, break, these great promises. And tied to that promise of the restoration is also the promise of a new covenant. You remember when Jesus was sitting there with his disciples at the table? He said, this cup is a cup of my blood, the blood of a new covenant. You know, this is a covenant that will actually complete what God had promised through Abraham. Because it will do something that no other covenant can do. It will take the heart within his people and it will change it miraculously. To be a heart that will look to God and never turn away from him again. Not, doesn't mean that they wouldn't stumble in sin, they wouldn't struggle with sin. But as far as who is God, their heart, that issue would be settled once and for all. And the healing that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 53 that by his wounds we are healed. By what Christ received for us in our behalf, being punished for our guilt of our sins, our hearts are healed, that we would be like the Son who had great, perfect devotion to his Father, that that would be the heart of the new person under the new covenant. So he gives these promises, and Jeremiah speaks of them, he says, this is a covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I'm, I'm reading out of a different portion of, of Jeremiah. It's not in the same chapter, 32. It was um, Jeremiah 31 and 31. And this is what the nature of the covenant. He says, I will put my laws in their heart. He says, it's not like the covenant that I made on Sinai where I put the laws on, a, on stone. And I said, now follow these and live. He says, I will put my laws in their hearts, he says, and I will write them there, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So this is the nature of the new covenant, tied to the restoration, and all this hope and promise is coming right at the end as well, as Jeremiah is warning the king. He's warning the leaders, just open the gates, go out and meet the king, and all will go well. Go with him back to Babylon. Stop resisting and let the people go. And all, at least you will have your lives. But if you resist him to the end, he will come in the city. And to the king Zedekiah, he will look you in your face, Zedekiah. You will see him eye to eye. And uh, it will happen. The Lord has already said it so. And all the false messages telling him, no, it's going to be okay. That That's... That's not true. Don't listen to those 
other prophets. So we see the Lord's immovable resolve to just what he's promised way back in the days of Abram, that he continues to do these things. Here's a nature of that resolve. He, it's an interesting, it's also in Jeremiah 31, but it's in verse 37. And this is the Lord just speaking that I will get this done. He says, thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. So he's saying, if, if, if the only way my promise could be broken, that I will forgive and heal my people, and I will make a people, yet a people of other nations as well, to be my own. He says the only way that could even happen is if man somehow could even measure the universe. He could somehow see it all and figure it all out. He can measure the depths of all things. And we know it's taken this long just to even get some telescopes out there and see a little bit further and a little bit further. And the more he looks at, the more he's vast it is. And so we see this is the Lord's resolve to do this great work. And so we really, we're coming, returning back to our story, the perching of this piece of land. We're coming now to something that seems so simple and so ordinary. I'm going to read through, um, we're back in 32. I'll read verses 6 through 8. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard according to the word of the Lord. And he said to me, Buy my field, please. That is at Anathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin. For you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was a word from the Lord. So his, the Lord tells him ahead of time what's going to happen. Because probably had he not, he'd go, are you crazy? I'm not going to buy a piece of land. This, this old place is going under. There's not going to be anything left. And none of us are coming back. It's over. And the Lord says, I want you to listen to what he says and buy the land. And so this is Jeremiah's struggle. And so this is really where we're going to take our lessons from this morning. Uh, two lessons. We'll look at Jeremiah's prayer and his struggle, and we'll look at the Lord's response to him. So in Jeremiah's prayer, we'll look at verses, uh, we'll go to 16 through 19. Let's look at what Jeremiah's, some of Jeremiah's response is. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you, who shows loving kindness to thousands, but repays the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God, Lord of hosts is his name, or Yahweh of hosts. Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. So this is Jeremiah starts his prayer, which is one of the is a lesson in and of itself is the best way to start our prayer is declaring to the Lord who he is, who he truly is. I mean, often in our darkest and our, our discouraging moments, whether it's over little things or big things, it's, it's simply because we've lost sight of this. And sometimes we just, we, just, we just kind of throw out these petitions to God, which is fine. He receives them. But we do so much better if we start by, no, Lord, this is who you are. Nothing is too difficult for you. You are this great and mighty God. You are wise in all these things. And so this is how Jeremiah starts with him. He starts by telling the Lord these things and and yet it's going to lead to some of his confusion. I'm going to skip down now to verse 24. And he said after, because he's going to, between what we read and 24, he's just going to simply now rehearse all that's going on and all the destruction that's coming and all the sin of Israel. And he's going, this is where we're at. This is where we're at. And so then he says, and so in verse 24, notice what he says, Behold, the siege ramps have reached the city. <clears throat> 
to take it, and the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. And what you have spoken has come to pass, and behold, you see it. You have said to me, O Lord God, buy for yourself the field with money and call in witnesses, although the city is already given into the hands of the Chaldeans. So now you, you see his confusion. You know, and I think many of us can relate to points in our life. I wonder why the Lord is working this way or why he's doing this. Seems like things should be going this way and not that way or whatever it may be. You know, and though the Lord is, 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 is it's not just for Jeremiah's sake. These things that are taking place are for all of his people's sake because we're going to read about them as well. It's also for the nations who are watching to see what's going on. It's for the heavens who are watching, the angels who are watching, the demons who are watching. What is going on here? How is this great promise that God has made to Abraham ever going to get fulfilled? It seems like it's all for naught. And so what marks the prayer of, of Jeremiah? First, he's just, he's in real anguish here. He starts a prayer by, oh, you know, it's literally an expression. And it's just, Lord, God, Lord Yahweh, what, what is going on? He, and yet he confesses his faith and he worships the Lord. You know, that is a great example that regardless of how confused we may be, how much in anguish we may be, we're always better off when we just worship the Lord, when we declare to him, he hasn't changed Nothing's gone wrong with him. And there's nothing that he cannot do. It's totally true. But often we're still just so thinking of the thing that's right in front of us that needs attention or needs fixing. It seems like all of our hopes here are getting dashed or maybe our, our better plans are getting ruined, you know, or just serious things we're concerned about with our health or our lives or our children, their salvation. Whatever it is, there are greater foundations that need to be laid in prayer and in our faith so that we can stay faithful to him. So he's trying to reconcile all this in his mind and he's wondering what good can come from all of this. And he's really, he just kind of leaves it like that. Lord, why would you have me do this at this point in time? You see, you see what's going on. So now let's look at the Lord's response to Jeremiah and his encouragement in verse 26. Of 32. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Remember what Jeremiah said? He, he declares to him, Nothing is too difficult for you. He's saying that, and the Lord said, Is anything too difficult for me? I sense there's a reservation here, Jeremiah. And naturally so. Even like when Moses the Lord told Moses when the people were complaining that they had no meat to eat and they're out in the desert. And the Lord tells Moses, tell them tomorrow they'll have meat to eat. And Moses goes, do you realize how many people are here? You know, and, and the Lord says, do you, think, do you think I can't do this? You know, and, it, and it, this is the whole issue with faith, isn't it? Uh, we live sometimes with very finite understanding of who God is. And, and it is a God of, in, in a certain sense, sometimes our own shaping. We have the words in the scriptures, but we have yet to have the experience of actually trusting him in ways greater than we have already trusted him. And often this is the nature of afflictions coming into our lives. They're not punishment. Often they are there so that we will trust him in ways we haven't known before. They will continue to hope in the same God that we confessed when we first came to know him, we'll continue to hope in the same God that we praised maybe in years past because he brought us through some great circumstance, but now these are greater circumstances and I don't see a way out of them. Has God changed? Has his faithfulness changed? Has the time that he promised Abram what he would do and you were included in that promise if you are in Christ this morning? It belongs to you as well. Paul says in Galatians, you are the children of Abram. And those promises are yours. God's eternal faithfulness cannot be ruined. And that's why this is such an important gesture here where he says, buy that piece of land because I'm going to restore 
everything, but yet in a far greater way than just giving you more place to live in a fallen world in these conditions. He's talking about eternal promises now and an eternal hope. So he, he, he poses the question, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And he goes on, therefore, thus says the Lord in verse 28, behold, I'm about to give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will take it. Yes, that is, a, that is what I'm doing. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city will enter this city, on, <clears throat> on, it will set this city on fire and burn it with the houses where people have offered incense to Baal on their roofs and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me in anger. One thing that the Lord does here is to give Jeremiah some context of the nature of the wrath that is coming, that it is well, well, well justified. Uh, it is, Israel had turned into a nation far more perverse than any other nation that had been there up to that time. And these are the people that are supposedly, they have God's name on them. I think one of the songs we sang this morning, you know, I've put your name to shame in that sense where uh, this is what Israel had done. You know, all the nations know they worship Yahweh. You know, and it's like, and these are, these are people who worship Yahweh? And so they'll see Yahweh come and annihilate a people, destroy a people, or scatter a people, or take a people away and they'll see, whoa, okay, his wrath was justified in that. And I see he's not happy with that either. It, it makes his name holy by what he does. They, we need to know that God is holy like that. He doesn't countenance sin in any kind of way and just say, well, a little bit is okay. None of it is okay at all. And when we see the cross, we see what Jesus bore for the guilt. We see how not okay it was and the price that it took to remove it. So he's helping Nehemiah understand some things here. So now we go into, let's look at verse, verse 30 and 31. Indeed, the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing only evil in my sight from their youth. For the sons of Israel have been only provoking me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. This means from the time they left Egypt 900 years ago, Nothing has changed. Yes, there are all the bright spots. There are the, there are the ones where God's spirit worked in various men and women throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament. We see these bright lights, you know, and they're wonderful to see. But by and large, as a nation, there were so many that were turned against the Lord, turned against his righteousness, turned toward anything. Why do you think the Psalms, which is basically the worship book of the Old Testament, and so many of them that are written of David, how many of them deal with hatred against him, animosity against him, people trying to take his life? And these are not, this is not coming from the nations around him. These are Israelites who hate David. Just like when Jesus came, these were the Jews that hated him and nailed him to the cross. Man's nature doesn't change. It doesn't matter what culture we come from. There is animosity in the heart of every single person born into this world if God doesn't take it out by a miraculous new birth through faith in his son. And that is the nature of it. And so here's, this is all that they could be aside from the supernatural working as he did in the hearts of some. And finally, he says, regarding this city, that is supposed to be, this city was supposed to be the shining pinnacle of God's truth and blessing in the whole entire earth. The only place you could go and actually experience the presence of God in the tabernacle. The only place where truth could be known. And the nations were supposed to come there and know this God. It was to be an evangelical light to the nations. And that's what this city was to become. And that's what the temple was to be. That one place, even as David was saying in Psalm 27, that's the one place I want to be in your temple, meditating on the God who you are. And so this is where we see, and so he says, regarding this city, it has been a provocation of my anger and my wrath from the day they built it, even to this day, so that it must be removed from before my face. You know, sometimes we think that all the, and we see this throughout history, don't we? There's this great 
religious fervor sometimes in parts of the church and all kinds. We see it through the Roman Catholic era. We see it through all kinds of things that we're so proud of what we've done for God. And God says, I can't stand what you're doing. Your hearts are not with me. Your hearts are in your religion and you're still living lives that are no different than <clears throat> most of the people around you. You're still thinking thoughts that are no different than the people around you. You're still saying words that are no different than the words. Maybe they're a little bit different, they're a little bit more polished, they're a little bit more controlled, but your heart is not different. And so this is what it was like to God with his city. He said, this city has to go. I'm, I'm tired of looking at it, and it's an abomination to my name. And so this is what Jeremiah needed to know. He needed to empathize in a certain sense. I get it. I see. I see why these things indeed are necessary. And yet in all of this, the Lord declares his resolve to bring about a glorious restoration. You know, guaranteeing that there will be a new covenant and a kingdom that is coming that will reach the lowest places. It will reach to the person in the dungeon uh, <clears throat> it'll reach to the person who's bound in chains of sin and darkness who have done horrific and horrendous things. That salvation will reach into the heart of anyone and bring them up to the place where God had always wanted them to be, his people, with a heart to love him, a heart to know him, a heart to serve him, and a joy that says, you are my God, and I am so glad I belong to you. That was what God has been after from the very beginning since Adam and Eve were swept out of the garden because of their own sin. And so we see this coming to fruition here. And so we're just going to finish with a couple lessons that we would <clears throat> take from this. We see that the Lord will be true to his covenant name. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of long-suffering. He is a God of infinite kindness and grace beyond any measure that the collective minds of all believers throughout all history could even put together. We still don't really know how gracious this God is, how merciful he is. And it would bring mercy to extend mercy and hope to those who were still hoping in the fulfillment and the promise. They were scattered throughout the remnant who had been flung out to the far nations and had been in Chaldea, or some of the poor, some of the poor were not taken away. They stayed in the land, and God just left them there. And they lived under, under foreign rulership until the times of Christ. And so we see all these things. They were scattered throughout all those. There were hearts, little flames, little lights, still hoping, still waiting, who were still faithful. <clears throat> you see that Anna, what is, Anna was the one who had been praying for all those years in the temple when she finally saw the Lord Jesus, the baby, the, the Savior come. We saw that with Simeon as well, that there were a people waiting for the redemption of Israel. So God has always kept that remnant alive. But looking here, this statement of the purchase of land, Jeremiah, buy this land because I'm not done. You know, it is, it is a statement to Jeremiah, to the Lord's people, but also as a, to the nations as well. You know, God does something. When he does it, he does it to make a statement about who he is. He says, I am not done with these promises. Everything is going to come to pass in the way I said it, and yet much more than it could be imagined. And as well, it was a, it was a, it was a definitive statement as well to the powers of darkness who are watching all of this. It was a definitive statement to the angels who are watching all this. It says in Peter that they wondered what God was saying and doing through these prophesy, prophecies and how was this grace going to come into the world. And so one key underlying lesson before, that I want to just put before you before we finish up this morning, <clears throat> and that is that our calling as believers is to nurture a faith, to nurture a faith <clears throat> and live by that faith that extends past our own lifetime. What I mean by that is we're, we're, we're looking beyond our life. We're looking at God's kingdom coming, which may be long after we go. But we're living toward God with a faith that believes in him like that. We all have unique circumstances and things that need addressing. We have our own walk with God. We have faith that we apply in all kinds of ways. But the foundation of faith for all our faith and prayer should be that we are living for something way beyond ourselves. We're not just simply living so that we'll have a blessed Christian life, 
will have believing children, and we can say, God did a lot of nice things to my family. <clears throat> Those are wonderful things, and not to be at all minimized, but that's not the priority. <clears throat> Those are the things that are built upon greater and more lasting things. Even in the times that we live in here, and the things that are going to be coming upon the communities and the societies of this nation, darker than you've ever seen before, and worse than you've ever known before. And our faith is to go beyond what we see around us and look at what God has said. This is what I'm doing, and this is how I'm going to do it. These are my purposes, and they will be fulfilled. And we've already seen, we're on the other side of the cross. We've already seen the glory of what Christ has done. We've already seen this great hope that we have, an eternal hope. But it, is, it does need to be something we nurture in our hearts. We live out of the wellsprings of a greater hope, even as we address the, the normal issues of life. You know, the things that concern us, whether we, we don't have enough money to pay our rent that month, we are, we are dealing with illnesses that, you know, are trying and chronic and may last for years. Whatever it may be, our own children and their salvation, those kinds of things that are near and dear to us, we lay those upon a greater foundation as we seek the Lord's help in those as well. And we find a comfort and a faith that says, Lord, nothing is impossible to you. And we're not twisting God's arm, just do, please do this one thing for me. It's not that kind of thing. We confidently lay them there, we expectantly lay them there, but we humbly lay them there and say, you be God. You know what you're doing. And we look to him <clears throat> for what he can do. So that's, I think, the underlying thing here with regard to Jeremiah is that <clears throat> was one thing that Jeremiah <clears throat> needed to know for sure was that nothing has failed here. Everything is still going on as it, I want it to go on. So we look from just looking at the lesson from Jeremiah's response, and that is the place to resolve all of our confusion and conflict is in the place of genuine worship and sincere and humble prayer. Getting alone with God in the quiet place consistently and laying those things out before him, worshiping him for who he is and then pouring out our hearts and acknowledging, Lord, you, I may not know what you're doing, but you are the God who provides. You will help me through just even the day, maybe even the next couple hours or through this month, whatever it is, but we, we live upon that kind of faith. We live with that kind of prayer, that kind of devotion. If it's missing in our life, then there's a rough ride ahead. <clears throat> it's not going to be easy. But if you cultivate that more and more in your lives, <clears throat> cause that to grow. And not that it isn't at this moment the very things that you're doing, but more and more. Uh, it brings us to deal with the things that come toward us in a way that thinks of the kingdom first. What is God doing around me? How can I reach those that are perishing with the glory of the God who has saved me. And how can, and, and, and in that as well, how can I lay before him the various needs and concerns of my own heart? And so that is one thing I think that was an excellent thing to learn from Jeremiah's, from Jeremiah's prayer and the way he, you know, we are best prepared, <clears throat> prepared to face the many things that presently surround us, you know, <clears throat> and to face even the coming days when we live in a daily worship of God. And we confess to him who he is. And we are the best versions of ourselves when we do so. When we neglect prayer, we ne neglect worship and devotion to the Lord in the secret place. It's one thing to come and hear somebody speak to you and hear the word of God. That's important as well. But you've got to take that now. That's, that's, it's like somebody giving you money, okay, and then you know there's an investment. I, if I go put that money over here, it's going to grow well, the place you put it is through faith, <clears throat> and you sow it through prayer, and you sow these things into your own personal faith and worship of God. That is where the investment pays off. That's where things begin to grow. That's where God becomes greater and larger in your heart, and the, the greatness of who he is is your stability in the times and the days ahead and makes you a very fruitful and useful person to your brothers and sisters in Christ to other struggling Christians who maybe attend other churches, and to the lost who they do not know what to do in any sort of way. 
And then the last thing, the lesson from the Lord's response to Jeremiah. And it is what we've been saying, investing our faith in the greater things to come. Sometimes we, you know, we have a lot of little hopes in front of us. We are hoping this maybe for our family. We're hoping this to get to this place in life financially or for our kids to get through college or for them to get good employment. All those things are good and wonderful things. We should have those kinds of hopes. But the hope where the anchor is and the hope that holds up all the rest of them and, and, and also knows how to deal with the disappointments when they come is this hope that it's in, in something greater than just what's going on around us, something more lasting it is in that Savior who is returning. It is in the kingdom that he is building. It is in that restoration of all things, even as he promised. That this is the God who is saving you. This is the God who is with you, if you are with him. And um, I have found often that when there seems to be just that lingering sorrow, that anguish, or whatever it is that doesn't want to go away, it's usually for want of this. You know, my hope is on something that I can't control. But this is something that God controls. And my hope needs to go there first. Let the other hopes rest on top of the greater one. And he gives strength. He gives joy. He gives peace. He gives ability to move through the life that you'll need to move through, however difficult it may be, and with the times that we have around us as a light and as a faithful believer in him. So the Lord speaks one more time to Jeremiah. <clears throat> we'll just end with this. And that's in the following chapter in verse 33. and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time while he was still confined in the court of the guard. All this time Jeremiah has been arrested because of the message he's been giving. He's in confinement. <clears throat> and thus says the Lord who made the earth... The Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, or Yahweh is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. And that is the God that we serve. He, he is a God who will show you great and mighty things, not new revelation, but about himself. <clears throat> we have words that we, we use, grace, um, faithfulness, holiness, he will show you what holiness is. He will show you what grace is. He will, you call out to him, and he will show more and more of himself to you through this word with new eyes and fresh eyes. He is a God who will be sought, and he is a God who will answer. And he's telling Jeremiah, this is, do this. Call out to me. I will give you what you need to bear you up in the times that you must face. <clears throat> Jeremiah, his life, he was arrested several times. He was put in the stocks for preaching. He was lowered down in a well during the famine at the end of everything that he might just starve to death. The Lord kept rescuing him out of all these situations. He was told not to marry because the times are so dark. And he was, in the end, he was kidnapped, taken away to Egypt by some people who panicked and fled down there. And yet he was faithful to the very end. In Egypt, he laid some paved stones down in the dirt <clears throat> in the very entrance to a part of the royal city. And when the Jews asked him who had also been taken down there with him, what are you doing? He says, this is where God is going to set the throne of Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to destroy Egypt too. There's no place you can run. You've run to the wrong place. You need to run to him. And so Jeremiah was faithful to the end and the Lord sustained him. And he will sustain us. Jeremiah wasn't like, remember what James said about Eli, <clears throat> Elijah? He is a man of like passion. He's just a man or he's just like us. He's just with frailties and weaknesses. It's not the man. It's not the woman. It's the God who says, come to me. Seek my face. And I will give you what you need to be faithful and to be fruitful in the days to come and give you a great hope and a future that goes way beyond everything you see here. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are a people that can call you Father because of the spirit you've given to us and 
we would not have that spirit if it were not for your son. Lord, who lived a life that we could not live and died the death that we should have died. Lord, so that he could give us his righteousness to cover our unrighteousness and even the remaining sin that we have now, that we would always be in perfect favor in a union with you through him that could never be destroyed from the moment we put our faith in his death for our sins and his rising again till the day we see you face to face, that that cannot be broken, that your spirit now dwells in your people, Lord, because of this and through that we can call you Father, that we're done turning away, looking to other gods, that you have indeed healed us, even though we struggle with remaining sin. The redemption of our bodies is yet to come. The redemption of our souls has taken place. Lord, we have now been made in the likeness of Jesus' death, and because of that likeness, that we, our guilt is completely removed. Our guilt from the sin we sinned before, the sins that happen today, the sins that will happen tomorrow. Lord, that you are a God who is saving a people for yourself. Lord, I pray you would, like Paul said, give us eyes to see what you have given to us, to treasure it, to think much upon it, to hold it in the highest regard, not the things passing away in this world that we can do nothing about, but to a glorious and gracious and kind and merciful eternal God. Help us to be a people who do call out to you, who spend much time in the secret place with you, who don't waste and fritter our hours away on things that will be of no account in the end. Lord, help us to be such a people and find you in a way, Lord, that we have not known you before through our sorrows and through the things of this life, Lord, that we could truly offer back to you a heart that adores you and loves you because of the grace you've given to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.